We're going to look at this message today with the whole focus being on communion. The first half of it is going to be on the, on the body, the second half on the blood. So we're going to look at it uh, and go back and look at what Jesus did with his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. And so we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 26, verses 26 through 30. This is what the Word of God says. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take it and eat. This is my body. And then when he had given a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The scripture is very clear here about what Jesus was doing. If you read the preceding few verses, you'll find out that Jesus had already sent his disciples in to uh, town to gather uh, supplies and make preparation to celebrate the Passover. This was not uncommon. Jews did this every year on, on Passover. This was always in the springtime, and it always involved a meal. The meal is called the Seder, S-E-D-E-R. And uh, in that meal, there are uh, cups of wine and there's bread, and there's a lot of other things that go along with it. There's a whole plate full of stuff. When I was uh, a chaplain in prison, I got very familiar with some of these Jewish customs because I had to make sure that the Jews got all their uh, stuff every year for the high holy days. And Passover is one of the highest and holiest of all of their, their holidays. So um, this, this is something very familiar to me, but I want to make sure that we all understand what's going on here. When we look through this passage... I want you to look there at verse 26. It says, after a blessing. And we rode past that and we don't think about it. But it's part of the Seder. It's part of the Passover meal. The blessing was called the Kiddush or Kiddush. That, that's the uh, blessing over the cup and over the bread. So when it talks about that, that was a very specific prayer that was used by the Jews during Passover and over these elements. And so when the disciples sat down with Jesus for this meal, they were very accustomed to what was going on. They knew the stuff that was on the table. It wouldn't surprise them. They knew what he was doing when he blessed the cup and the bread. No surprises at all until he got to those last couple of verses there and started talking about my body, my blood. So that's what we're going to focus on today, is looking at that. In, in, the, in the Hebrew, like I said, it was Kadesh or Kadesh. And in the Greek, it's this word Eucharist. Have you ever heard that word? Eucharist? Yeah. It's what the Catholics refer to communion as. Okay? The Eucharist is taken from a Greek word that means thanks. You is, the prefix, E-U, means good. 
And so charist is, is part of the word grace. So it's a good grace, a good gift. And that's what Thanksgiving is, isn't it? When we give thanks for a good gift that God has given to us. And so that's what they were doing. They were giving thanks. It was a Thanksgiving kind of thing. As we look down through this, we want to also look at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 because it ties in. You're going to see the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 5 in this passage today. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. And this is echoed by Peter in the New Testament. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So what we're looking at here is a fulfillment of what Christ is doing for the prophecy given by Isaiah. The idea here is he was wounded in his body. He was bruised in his body. The chastisement of our peace and his stripes were in his body. This is all taking place in the body of Christ. And so today when we take of the body, of the bread today, this is what we're remembering. The physical suffering that he endured so that we could have these things. Let's break it down a little bit more. Let's talk about unleavened bread. This is what the Jewish people refer to as matzah. It's spelled all kinds of different way. Okay? It's, sometimes it's a Z-A, sometimes the H is off, uh, sometimes it ends in an O. Uh, different, you know, it's Hebrew, so it's not our language, so when you translate it, it can come up looking strange. But matzah. Uh, matzah was the, known as the bread of affliction, and that's why it's associated with Passover, because remember, in the Old Testament, it was God's command that they not take time to have the bread rise. Now, all else during the, the year, they eat challah bread, which is a, a yeasty bread, and it's fluffy and kind of like a uh, a biscuit or a roll. Um, and so they, they, that's what they eat normally on Fridays for their normal Friday service. But on Passover, it's unleavened. It doesn't have any yeast in it. Now in Scripture, just in case you haven't heard before, leaven is always a picture of sin. And so when they left Egypt, they were leaving sin behind. And so God told them to not put any yeast in it. You don't have time to wait for the flour to rise. Just follow me and, and get out of Egypt. And so that is, it's associated with our salvation. Yeast, uh, I mean, uh, matzah was known as the bread of affliction, the poor man's bread. Uh, it was the bread that slaves ate because they couldn't afford yeast. But it was also a symbol of freedom and liberation. And when we look at bread in relationship to the Lord's Supper and Passover, we see that the matzah is Christ's body. Right? The matzah is Christ's body. Get there. Um, if you look at a piece of matzah, I think I have a picture of it somewhere. There it is. Uh, this is what matzah looks like. Okay? It's usually a square cracker, basically. But on the cracker, you can see that there's holes and there are stripes going across this way, and there are also bruises. You see the dark spots. 
So when we look at a pizza matzah, remember this is what Jesus was showing to his disciples. Part of the prayer, part of the process of the Seder was to hold up the matzah and let them see it. And so when he says, this is my body, he's holding a piece of matzah in his hands. As he does that, we were reminded that matzah is pierced. That's what all those little holes are. So when Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgression, it's a fulfillment of what's about to happen on the cross. Now, we don't have pierced bread. We have little chunks, you know, but it's unleavened bread. Believe me, it's, there's no leaven in that stuff. There's little in that stuff. It's kind of like eating little card, cardboard chips sometimes. But uh, <laughs> that's, matzah was the original thing that was used, and this is our representation of matzah. Uh, and, and that's why, because it is pierced. It shows the piercing, the predicted piercing in Isaiah's prophecy is there. The piercing for our transgressions, that word transgressions means a breach of the limit. A breach of the limit. So in other words, God said, go this far and no further, and man took a step over the line. That's a transgression. It's related to tra trespassing. It's going across a, a border, across a limit, across the line. And so he was pierced because we crossed the line. His body was pierced with nails in his feet and his hands. He was also bruised for our iniquities. Now, the word iniquity means immoral behavior. It has to do with the power of darkness operating in our lives. So as we look into the hour of darkness, remember Jesus is dealing with the darkness in all of our lives. And the darkness was there to remind us of our iniquities. That was Jesus taking on all the iniquities of the world all the way through our time and beyond. All sin for all time was dealt with in that moment. Iniquity, immoral behavior. Anybody seen any transgressions or immoral behavior lately in our world? Yeah, it's still relevant, isn't it? So him being pierced and bruised is relevant to our day-to-day, -day, and it's why we take the bread. The final thing that Isaiah mentions is he was beaten with stripes. The stripes are there, and Isaiah says it's for our healing. Healing, the idea there is wholeness. It's related to the word peace, completeness, nothing lacking. And so when we think of healing, we normally in our minds associate healing with physical things. And God provided for physical healing. I believe that with all my heart. My mom is still alive uh, after all these years when doctors told her she was going to die in 1962 because God physically raised her up off of a bed that the doctor said she, would lap, she had already lapsed into a coma and she would never come out. God healed her, brought her out. She's still alive today. So can't, you can't argue with me that God doesn't heal physically. He does. He also heals emotionally. There's emotional healing in the stripes of Jesus. 
So if you're dealing with emotional issues, remember Jesus is your wholeness. When you're feeling broken emotionally, when you're overwhelmed with sadness, when you're overwhelmed with guilt, when you're overwhelmed with shame, when you're overwhelmed with all the, the crud from your past, remember, Jesus died, wore those stripes, so that you could be made whole. There's a lot of depression going on in our world today. There are people committing suicide much more often, it seems, than ever before. A key link to a suicidal behavior is depression. Depression means something that has been there before is now gone. It's a low spot, a hole that's there. It's an emotional hole. And so when the scripture talks about by his stripes we were healed, he's talking about the healing of depression. God wants to fill up the hole in your life. He wants to lift you up out of that pit of despair and give you hope and put you back. Read Psalm 40 sometime. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and listened to my prayer and he lifted me up out of a miry pit, a hole. But he didn't just leave him teetering on the brink. It says, he put my feet upon the rock and established my goings. That is a beautiful picture of how God delivers from depression. If you're suffering from depression today, let me tell you, Jesus is your answer. For by his stripes, you were healed. He also heals of mental illnesses. Is God sovereign over mental illness? Oh, that's scary, isn't it? That's, that's one we don't want to talk about too much. You mean God? Yeah, He does. He does. Look at the miracles of Jesus. There are occasions when Jesus healed epileptics, but there are also occasions when people uh, that had mental illnesses were healed. If you look in the Scriptures and find out what the meaning behind some of the words that we just run by when we're reading. Jesus heals mental illness as well. So if you have mental problems that are, you're, you're feeling mentally broken, you can't concentrate, you can't think straight, you can't remember things, all these things, Jesus is your answer. There's healing for mental brokenness in Jesus. Finally, He's also the healer relationally. So physically, emotionally, mentally, and relationally. Jesus wants to heal us in our relationships. First of all, the healing that took place was with our relationship with the Father. He healed the relationship with our Father. Through His stripes, through His suffering on the cross, He made a way back so that we could be reconciled with the Father and have the proper relationship that God intended us to have when He created man to begin with. So whatever brokenness you have in your life, let me tell you, Jesus is your healer. He wants to heal you today. He wants to lift you up. He wants to bring you new life, a new way of looking at things. I want to go on now and, and look at Exodus chapter 6. 
I think that's our next. Yeah. Two verses in Exodus chapter 6. Verses 6 and 7. Because this sets up the next part of the message. Look at what's happening here in Exodus. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. That word I am, the reason I put it in all caps here is that's the same I am that he spoke to Moses out of the bush. I am that I am is what he's saying. The same one that spoke to Moses out of the bush is talking to you now, so pay attention. That's what he's saying in this verse. Here's his promises. I am is making these promises. He says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then, he's not finished, verse 7, I will take you for my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's a very powerful two verses right there. When God uses his name at the beginning and the end, he kind of seals it. He says, I am is talking to you. I am has promised these things to you. Take it. Go with it. Stand on it. So we're going to get into the idea of these biblical cups. Now the original biblical cups come out of this Exodus chapter 6 passage that we just looked at, and we're going to kind of break it down a little bit so you understand, you know, in our communion we have one cup, right? We don't have four. But in the Passover Seder that Jesus was sitting down with at his disciples, there were four cups. Four cups. And there was the matzah. Okay? So here we're looking at, again, Jesus was giving thanks. He was saying the blessing over uh, this, this uh, bread and this cup. And then when he had taken the cup and gave thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I will say to you, I will not drink of it of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out. That's all part of the Seder. Okay. So let's look at break this down a little bit. In Exodus, this passage that we just read, this is also contained in the, the Seder. There's a, what you want to call a, a liturgy or instruction for the Seder. It's, it's a line-by-line -line thing. So, because it's a very complicated and long ceremony. And so when the Jews were doing this, they usually had a, a what's called a Haggadah. And that Haggadah would be the liturgy or the instruction book on how to properly celebrate the Passover. And this Haggadah would have all these verses listed in it and the meaning of each one. Also questions for the kids to ask so that the elders could teach them from the Word about God and the Exodus and the Passover. So let's go through these cups, these four cups that are mentioned here. First of all, let's talk a little bit more about that blessing. Okay. When he said this blessing over the bread and the cup, there is a specific formula for that prayer. Uh, let's see. Baruch atah Adonai 
Elhenu Melech Ha'olam. That's the blessing. That's how every one of the blessings begin. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Every prayer began with that. So when Jesus is blessing the cup and blessing the bread, that's what he said, first of all. That was part of the blessing. Acknowledging that God the Father is blessed and he is the Lord and the King over everything. The first cup of the four cups of the Passover that Jesus shared with his disciples was the cup of sanctification and freedom. This is where he said the blessing for the first time. And it's related to that verse 6, Exodus 6, that says, I will bring you out. I will bring you out. The word sanctification, you know, that's one of those 50-cent words that theologians like to throw around and impress everybody with. What does it mean to be set apart? To call out. To make special and holy for the purposes of God. That's what that word means. So don't let sanctification intimidate you. Embrace it. And know that God wants you to be set apart for His service, for His purpose. That's what that sanctification is. And in that being set apart, when God draws you out, brings you out of bondage, out of sin, out of all those things that have been holding you back from being who God created you to be, He doesn't just bring you out. He establishes your goings. And he ensures that you're going to walk in righteousness. That's what sanctification is about. And the reason we struggle with that sometimes is we're so used to or accustomed to our norm of walking in our sinful nature and doing what the body wants and what the natural desires want that we find it difficult and confusing and challenging to our flesh when we try to walk in the Spirit and according to God's word. I will bring you out. I will give you freedom. So it's sanctification and freedom. He sets us apart and doesn't just leave us there. He sets us free. That's part of that first cup that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. For God said in that same verse, I will deliver you. I will deliver you. Again, what is God saying to us today as we take of communion? I will deliver you. Whatever bondage you have gotten yourself into, whatever struggle you find yourself in, whatever situation and circumstance seems to be overwhelming you, God says, I will deliver you. I will deliver you. The third cup is the one that Jesus is recorded as saying and talking about in the Bible. This cup that we will share here in a little bit, and the cup that is talked about in this passage in Matthew and again in 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul gives us what the Lord delivered unto him, is the cup of redemption. Where it says, I will redeem you. The cup of redemption. I will redeem you. What is redeem? Buying back. Buying back. There's a price that has to be paid. 
It means that whatever is being redeemed is in the possession of someone else and has to be purchased with a ransom, with a redemption price. There's probably not a whole lot of you that remember uh, green stamps or uh, things like that. Uh, <laughs> they used to give those away at gas stations, right, and grocery stores. Um, some of the older heads are nodding. You know, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Okay. Some of the younger ones are saying, "Huh?" But you would you would save these things in little books, and then when you accumulate, my mom loved this stuff. When you <laughs> When you accumulate enough of these books, you go to the redemption center and uh, purchase stuff with what you have collected. A good picture of what Jesus did for us. He paid the price for our redemption. We were being held ransom. We were being held by someone who didn't have the right to hold us. And Jesus said, I will pay to set you free. That's what redemption is. He has redeemed us from the bondage of the enemy. He has redeemed us from the hole that the enemy has had over us all this time. Jesus bought us back from the enemy and said, you are mine. You are mine. And when he lifted that cup, this is the third cup, that Jesus lifted up that we have recorded in the Scripture, He said, this is my blood. And then He tells them why. Which is poured out for you as a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Why was the enemy allowed to take us captive? Because we sinned against God. We rebelled against the Lord who created us, who legitimately owned us, as the one who created us, the Creator. And so we allowed ourselves to come under a new Lord, the devil, the enemy, Satan. Now Jesus is saying, I will set a new covenant, a new contract. We'll reset everything and try to start all over again from the way God intended it to be from the beginning, where you are free from the bondage of sin and you are part of the family of God. And so when we look into our cups today, when we take this cup together, remember, we are partaking, partaking and remembering, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, right? We are partaking and remembering we are no longer the property of the enemy. We belong to the family of God. The enemy treats us as his property and abuses and misuses us in all kinds of different ways. God treats us as his family. He is our father, and our elder brother Jesus Christ has brought to him the ransom to buy us back out of the enemy's bondage and reintegrate us, regraft us, if you will, adopt us into the family of God. So now we belong to our rightful father, the creator of the universe. The final cup, the fourth cup, is the cup of thanksgiving and hope. In the scripture, it says, I will take you as my people, basically. The final one is talking about thanksgiving and hope for the kingdom that is to come. 
That's what Jesus is referring to. It seems a little odd to us if you don't know the whole story behind it. Why in that verse that he said in 29, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. He was talking about the fourth cup. He's saying there is coming a day. We're on the third cup now. Redemption is here. But there is coming a day when I will drink with you again. Somehow I think that's going to be worked into the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. The fourth cup will be there for us. And in that fourth cup, we will have a cup of tremendous thanksgiving unto God for redeeming us, for bringing us out, for setting us free and adopting us back into His family. But for now, it's hope. It's a blessed hope. It's an eternal hope that we have to know that one day, Jesus said, He's reserved a time and a place when we will drink that cup together with Him and the disciples around that great marriage supper of the Lamb. Luke 22.20 says this. Uh, well, we already read that, so let me just go to it. Luke 22.20, the cup after the third meal of the third cup is, uh, corresponds to Exodus 6.6, where he says, I will redeem you. And Jesus then used the cup of redemption, as the third cup is called, to inaugurate this new covenant, which redeems us from the Egypt of our bondage even today to sin for all that trust in God and his Messiah. Luke 22:18 matches Matthew 26:29 For I say unto you I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes again as I said that refers to the fourth cup the cup of thanksgiving and hope for the coming kingdom But did you know that there are other cups These are the four cups of the of of Passover Seder but there are other cups that are mentioned in scripture One is right after this when they finished, they sang a hymn. By the way, that hymn was called the Hallel. Does that word sound familiar? Hallelujah. Huh? Hallel is the last one, and that was a specific song that they sang, usually out between 113 and 118, I think it is. 113 and 118 is called the Hallel. It's all the praises to God in that, past, in that whole section of the Psalms. And that's what they sang. They picked one of those and they sang as they were going out the Hallel because that's the way you closed out Passover. And so Jesus and his disciples sang that hymn and it says they went out to the Mount of Olives. Guess what the Mount of Olives also has? The Garden of Gethsemane. And so they gathered in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. They were praying there. And it says, and he went out a little beyond them and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. This cup, Jesus called it, the cup of suffering and the cup of submission, where Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that he was facing stripes, he knew that he was facing crucifixion. He knew all the suffering that he was about to face. And his human side, because remember, Jesus was fully human and fully divine. His body and his mind, his human side said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. 
It's interesting to note that all this began in a garden. And Jesus here rectified it in a garden. In the Garden of Eden, man said, no, my will, not yours, be done. And he chose to disobey God and do what he wanted to do. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus reverses that and says, not my will, but yours, be done. It's a complete reversal of what man had done. So Jesus, as the second Adam, which the Scripture calls him, now obeys God's will where man could not. Man did not. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. He was facing all these things, and yet he drinks from this cup of suffering. And he also drinks from the cup of submission. Not my will, but yours be done. There's another cup, the final cup that we want to talk about today. And that is the cup of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now normally we think about and read or quote the chapter 11 passage where Paul says, For I have delivered unto you that which I have received from the Lord. And he goes on and talks about the, the communion. Here in, in chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus, uh, Paul says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Well, what, what in the world does all that mean? Let me explain it to you a little bit. Drinking from the cup of the Lord means you are acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and His redemptive blood because that was the third cup that He drank with His disciples and said, this is my blood, new covenant. And so the cup of the Lord is that acknowledgement of His Lordship and the acceptance of His redemption. So then let's flip that and look at what is this cup of demons about? Well, first of all, it's about the fact that Christ will not share His throne. But in that greater picture, what we need to hear in that is that this means that Christ doesn't want us mixing his lordship, and trying to listen and do the things of this world because they are contradictory to one another. This cup of demons that Paul was talking about was specifically an issue that they had in Corinth because there's a whole bunch of um, idol temples in the city of Corinth. Still are today the ruins of them anyway. I had the privilege of the Navy paying my way to go over there for a couple of weeks uh, back in 1980, and uh, got to spend a couple of weeks in Corinth. Of course, I was working for the Navy, so I you know, didn't spend the whole two weeks in, out there looking, but we got to make a, a trip uh, to Corinth. And there it's very impressive because it's a seaport. You can see the, the water right there. But at the same time, it's also a city of temples. There are temples to uh, Apollo and all these other different gods and goddesses of uh, the Greeks and the Romans. And then on the top, it's, it's called Acro-Corinth. Okay. You've heard of the Acropolis in Athens, right? Acropolis just means city, so Acro means high. So the Acropolis is the high city. That's part of the Athens skyline. Here we have Acro-Corinth. It's a high place 
similar to the Acropolis. It's a high sheer cliff that goes straight up almost. And on top of that, visible from the city, is another temple. And it's the temple of Aphrodite, the love goddess. And up there was a bunch of prostitutes, male and female. And uh, what they did was they, they offered idols worship. Part of their ritual was drinking a cup of wine. They would spill out a portion of their wine as an offering to the god or goddess that they were praying to or serving, and then drink the rest of it. The Corinthians, if you remember, carried some of that over into the communion service because when they heard agape feast, agape means love. So when they heard that the, the Lord's Supper was going to be an agape feast, they said love feast, that's like what we used to do. And so they tried bringing some of those traditions into the tradition of the Lord's Supper. And so Paul was telling them, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. What you've had in the past offering these drinks to the gods and goddesses is not the same cup that you can offer to the Lord or receive from him. How does that apply to us today? Well, guess what? The enemy's still at it. He's trying us to get us to do mixed drinks. He wants us to drink from the world. He wants us to drink the things of this world. He wants us to drink things that have been offered to vulgar and sinful and wicked things. In other words, and we don't just drink with our lips, folks. We drink with our eyes as much or more than we do with our lips. We drink in what we watch on TV. We drink in what we look at on the internet. It's one of the things that's so poisoning and dangerous about pornography. It's because particularly men, but both men and women, who look at pornography drink that stuff in. And there's actually proof through MRIs and stuff that it does brain damage to people who are addicted. And they put, I, I've seen slides of an of a, a, a addict's brain, meth, alcohol, whatever you want to call it, substance abuse, and the, the uh, uh, MRI of a pornography addicted person, and it's the same kind of damage. Same kind of damage. And the damage lo is located primarily in the area where we make decisions and choices. Imagine that. So when we drink of the cup of demons, when we drink of the things of this world, we are doing damage to who God created us to be, and we are disabilitating ourselves to be able to make good choices, right choices. And then we encounter circumstances that bring consequences, and we wonder, how did I get there? Sipping on the wrong cup. Sipping on the wrong cup. Guard your hearts. Guard your lips. Guard your eyes. Guard your minds. And make sure you drink of the Lord. How do you drink of the Lord? You read His Word primarily. Every time you read the Word, you're drinking in the truth of God. The law of physics says only one thing can occupy a space at one time. And so the more you fill yourself with the Word of God, the truth of God, and the things of God, 
the less room there is for you to have things of this world. And so that brings us to this place where the flesh cries out. Wait a minute, I've had control of all this stuff all these years. Now you're wanting to push me out? No wonder Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. Take up your cross. Because he knew we had to die. Paul said it again, I die daily. I die daily. Because the old man, the old nature, keeps wanting to resurrect and take back control. Drown him in the cup of the Lord. Drown him in a constant bombardment and drinking into the word that reminds us and affirms in us, Jesus is Lord of my life. And the enemy has no place there. So what about you today? Have you allowed the brokenness of Christ's body to bring you wholeness? What kind of cups have you been drinking from? Have you drunk from the cup of redemption? And as you do these things, has the light of Christ and his gospel shone into the darkness of your light? This hour of darkness that we're talking about today, Jesus came to dispel the darkness because he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So if there's any darkness in us today, shine Jesus there. If you're here today and you haven't drank of the cup of redemption, today is a good day to do that. And don't get confused. I'm not telling you if you drink this little bit of grape juice, it's going to save you. No, no, no. This is symbolic. This is a representation of what's already happened. What Paul says in that passage in 1 Corinthians 11, down below what we refer to in the communion uh, section, he says, let a man examine themselves when they eat the bread and drink the cup so that they don't partake in an unworthy manner, not recognizing the body and the blood of the Lord. The purpose of this message today is to shine a light on the purpose of the body and the blood of the Lord. So that as we partake together of communion today, you can no longer feign ignorance about what you're doing. Don't just go through the motions. It's not a ritual. It's not a rite in the sense of it's something that you just have to go through because it's the first Sunday of the month. This is reestablishment and a reminder of a relationship with Jesus the Redeemer. For his body was broken and his blood was shed so that we could be called the redeemed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, and I pray that we have ears to hear. Speak to hearts that may be still in darkness. Call them out of the darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, for those of us that claim to be yours, that are tolerating shadows in our lives, drive them out. Shine your light into the innermost corners and closets of our lives. And may we face the truth of your word. Lord, as we come to this table today, may we spend this time to examine 
ourselves. So that we understand if there is something that doesn't belong there, the bread and the cup represent the remedies for whatever is out of place and out of sorts in our lives. May we make that right today as we come to this table so that no one is denied that opportunity to fellowship with you around your table in the precious body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory.